Amen. Well, we could just sing those songs, the four songs again, and skip the sermon. <laughs> that was great. That was tremendous. When we get close to the Lord, um, and worship certainly draws us close to the Lord, I'm tremendously encouraged. Then the psalmist in Psalm 100 said that if you want to draw close to the Lord, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, and bless his name. And if you want to try something that will bring you close to the Lord, thank him, praise him, and bless his name, and you will get close to the Lord every day, every hour. Um, I want to keep, make sure we keep Alanette in our prayers. I, I, it strikes me that there's a special thing for us to do as a church to support them, and I want to make sure we keep their family uh, close in our prayers. The Lord is strong and mighty, and yet he has chosen for us to lift up one another, and he's encouraged us to pray for one another, and it's something that we need to make sure that we take to our heart in a major way. This morning, I want to speak from 1 John 2, verses 12 through 14. 1 John 2, verses 12 through 14. And it reads, and I'm reading from the ESV, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, boys, or in some version it says children, because you know of the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, the first thing that I would say to John when he wrote this is, Rearrange that and just get it in one order. Start with little children, then go to children, then go to young men and go to fathers, because it's hard to follow what you wrote. But John would probably laugh at me, and there's probably some deep purpose to that that I don't understand. But John describes four stages in a Christian's life, and he uses the comparison of the stages in a normal life in a regular life. And he says there's a stage that's like little children, a stage that's like boys, a stage that's like young men, and a stage that is fathers or the mature. Of the little children, he says, this is what characterizes little children in the Lord. They have had their sins forgiven. And that's the single thing he lists for little children. The single thing that he lists for boys is that they know of the father. The Greek here is more a know of rather than to know intimately, but to know of the Father. The three things that he writes about young men are that young men are strong, the word of God abides in them, and twice, he says, young men have been victorious over the evil one. And what he writes of fathers is, Twice he says the same thing. Fathers, know him who is from the beginning. So I want to walk through these four levels and talk to them 
They apply to every one of our lives, and John is saying this is what we go through as we become starting Christians to the place that we become a mature Christian. So for little children, and absolutely important for every one of us, and crucially important for our lives, we have got to have our sins forgiven. And often we consider this to be the fullness of the gospel. Jesus came and said, you must repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He told his disciples, unless you repent, you likewise shall perish. It is necessary that we recognize sin in our life and we don't continue to go that way, but we turn from sin and we turn to Jesus. And we end up repenting a lot our whole life because wherever there's sin in our life, we need to continually repent from that sin, ask for forgiveness, and come to Jesus. And the wonderful message of the gospel is that Jesus receives us with open arms, has taken the punishment for our sin, and can wipe us clean from all unrighteousness. And so it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it says in Isaiah 1.18, the Lord says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. They shall be wool like a white wool. So he's saying, the Lord is saying, I always have open arms, and it's a necessary thing for you to start here. You've got to start by saying, my sins are wrong, I confess these sins, I repent from them, I come to Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus that pays for my sin. All of my salvation, Lord, is credited to you, and I give you my thanks. And that's how we become a Christian. Now at that point, The enemy has got several things on his mind about that person. So I'm going to choose to embarrass Hannah today and use her in an example. Is that okay, Hannah? So when Hannah first came to know the Lord, and she gave her heart to Christ and said, I'm giving you my life, the enemy goes, rats, I have lost Hannah. Hannah is going to love Jesus. She's going to live eternally with him. It's going to be a great thing. Rats, I've lost her eternally. But let me see what I can do to Hannah to minimize the damage. And so he has two approaches that are particularly effective on new Christians. And he uses these approaches all the time. And everybody in this room is going to recognize these approaches when I talk about them. So the first approach, and we have to recognize that the enemy can appear as an angel of light. He never enters a room saying, my name is Satan. How many of you would like to go to hell and eternally suffer with me? Satan does not appear like that. As a matter of fact, if somebody walked in the room like that, it's not Satan. It's somebody that's deluded because Satan would never do that. But he appears as an angel of light, and his purpose is to deceive. And in Revelation, he is called the deceiver of the brethren. He deceives, the great deceiver. And he tries to make things look one way so he can get us away from God. It always amazed me in the Bible that Satan would have the audacity to quote Scripture to Jesus. Can you imagine that? You are faced with the Son of God, 
and you were trying to tempt him and to lure him into the temptation, you quote scripture. And Satan did that. He said, it is written, the angels will not allow your foot to be stubbed against a stone, that they will rescue you. And Jesus said, it is also written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. But Satan even used scripture with the Son of God. And if he is that bold, he is plenty bold with us. And so I want you to listen to this deception that he brings to new Christians. So he says, Hannah, you were smart to accept Jesus. You have a place reserved for you in heaven. That was a good thing that you did. And boy, are you right. Jesus did so many things for you. And as you hear the story of the cross and the suffering, boy, did he do a lot for you, Hannah. And now, Hannah, you owe him big. Have you got that? Now, Hannah, you owe him big. And so, Hannah, since you're now a Christian, this is what Christians are. Christians are supposed to be people who are loving and kind and joyful, have self-control, are gentle. And so, Hannah, you are going to need to be all those things to help pay Jesus back for the great thing that he's done for you. So, Hannah, get to work. Now, when Satan ever talks to us, the first thing he does is to isolate us from Jesus. He wants us as far from Jesus as he can get us. And so all that conversation was Hannah, 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 Hannah. You, 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 must, must, must. And at the end of that, Hannah's going, yeah, I don't know if I've got all those things. When I looked at my life, if I gave my life a scorecard on those things after I became a Christian, it wasn't that good. Love was okay. I loved those people that loved me, but there were a bunch of people I don't think I loved at all. And I certainly didn't have particular love for people I've never met. I didn't give myself a very good grade, maybe a B minus there. I really did bad, though, when it came to patience and self-control. I was running in the F plus area. It was really quite bad. And the enemy would speak to me and say, what kind of a Christian are you? Why, you're supposed to have these things, and they are supposed to be out there, and that should be in your life. And you're not very much of a Christian. And by the way, Jim, don't talk to anybody else about this because all the other Christians have it figured out. You're the only one that's having trouble with it. But you see, Jesus brought a gospel that was much bigger than that. When Jesus came and preached, it was not just to get your sins forgiven, but that you would enter the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God is a whole much better place. And the Bible says that God's purpose was that God would dwell within us, that His Spirit would come and dwell within us so a new creation would be made, and the dwelling of that Spirit within us is what would produce those good fruits. And that's why it says in Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, for the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, and gentleness, and meekness, and self-control. Not the fruit of our flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. And so this was so important to Jesus that when he was directly asked by the Pharisees, 
what should we be doing that we might work the works of God, I was thinking that Jesus might list out a long list of things that you should do. You should help in the maintenance of the synagogue. You should go over here and do this good thing. You should do these five or six good things. But Jesus answered in a way that no one was expecting. He said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, the word believe there is not just an intellectual acknowledgement of Jesus, but it is a trusting and giving over of yourself to Jesus. What Jesus talks about in John 15 is abide in me. That's what that believing means. So Jesus said, your work is to abide in me. What comes out of that is all the fruit that we, want to, that we could ever see. We do end up helping with the church maintenance or the synagogue maintenance as it was. We do help with visiting people. We do help with giving to the poor. We do those things, but why do we do those things? We do those things because of the Spirit of God who has come to live within us that has changed us into a new creation. And 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, if anyone has followed Christ, he is one spirit with Jesus. So Jesus, this was such a big deal to Jesus that even after he had given the great commission to all his disciples and said, go ye unto all the world and proclaim the good news, he said, but don't go yet. Don't go yet. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you shall be my witnesses. And sure enough, that's what happened. The 120 disciples were in the upper room. The Holy Spirit descended and filled everyone that was there and took control of the most difficult part of the body that we have to yield control, that is our tongue, and he had them speak in languages they did not know, declaring the glorious works of God. Now you can't go through that experience and say, well, God was kind of there. That, you can't do that. God came and totally transformed every single person. And Jesus said, I don't even want you to go out and minister until the Holy Spirit fills you. Because the filling of the Holy Spirit and the uniting of us with the Holy Spirit is what makes the whole Christian life possible. It is absolutely impossible to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit transforming us from the inside. And if you read the book of Galatians, you'll find that Paul spent an entire book of Galatians talking to the Galatians and saying, don't you recognize that when you started, it was by the Spirit of God, are you now going to finish and reach perfection by the works of the flesh? Oh, you foolish Galatians. That's what he said. It's in Galatians 3, 3. Oh, you foolish Galatians. Don't you see the Spirit of God did everything from the beginning? And that same Spirit is who's going to take you on to perfection. And then in Philippians 1, 6, he says, For God... for." He who began a good work in you, who is Jesus, will complete it. And then in Hebrews 12, 2, he says, For Jesus is both the author and the finisher of our faith. 
So God never meant for Hannah to be excluded off to the side to come up with all these Christian virtues. He meant for Hannah to be so abiding in Christ that the Spirit of God produced all those good things through her, but more than just producing good things, changes Hannah into the image of Christ. Now that's the good news of the kingdom. But the necessary first step is we do have to get our sins forgiven. And you can't come to God and say, well, God, I have a bunch of sins I'd like to get forgiven, but I have three over here I'd like to keep doing. There's one person I've been mad at for 20 years, and I just take joy at yelling at them because they're a bad person. Can't keep that one back. You have to give that over to the Lord. You can't say, my mother always liked my sister better. You can't say that. You can't be mad at your mother for 20 years and then say your life is given over to Christ. Now, you might feel that way, but you can't say that. You can say, Lord, that's wrong. Change me. Lord, that's wrong. Change me. Now, fortunately, the Bible says in Philippians 2.13 that God works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he works in us to will his good pleasure. And that's been a problem in my life because I didn't will what God wanted to do. But God works in us to change our will so we desire to do what God wants us to do. Now that's good news. And that's why Jesus said, He who commits sin is the slave of sin, but he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Because sin naturally enslaves, you can't get around it, and there is no freedom from sin unless the Son of God sets us free from sin. And that's why he keeps calling it the good news of the kingdom of God and not just the kingdom of God, but the good news of the kingdom of God. You know, when Jesus came to earth, the angel said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. We, all these have been in, I'm sure, Hannah, you know this one from being in the plays. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all men, for unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But he said that Jesus' coming was good tidings of great joy. Jesus' coming to the earth was good tidings of great joy. Jesus' coming into our life is good tidings of great joy. Jesus' coming into bitterness that we've kept for 15 years is good tidings of great joy. Jesus entering our workplace is good tidings of great joy. Every single time Jesus enters in, it's good tidings of great joy. It's not, here comes Jesus, now we're going to have to act right. It's not that at all. The good news of the kingdom of God is liberating. And that's why it says in John 10, 10, that he came that we might have life more abundantly, abundant life, not quasi-life. So we have to take this as children. And we have to be recognized that first deception. That first deception is to separate us out so we don't recognize that God has now become a part of us. But once we recognize that God has become a part of us, we kind of enter that second phase of being boys or, little, or children. Now, you might say, well, Gadzooks, that sounds like a really advanced phase. Don't we get more points than that? No, you don't. That just goes to the next step where you recognize that God is here. Before you were Christian, God didn't exist or God was way the heck out there. But there comes to a place that we know of the Father. And you'll listen to people talk and they'll go, you know, when Jesus said he would be with me always, he meant that. And I actually know that he is here. And I actually do talk to him like he's here, not out there. Because most people treat Jesus like he can only be reached by email. They send an email, hope that he'll read it and send a favorable response. 
And that's their relationship with Jesus. But Jesus said, I'm right here. It's something that's going to scare us if all of a sudden the Lord opened our eyes like he did Elisha's servants and we could see in the spiritual realm. We would see the Holy Spirit right here. I would have to jump sideways because he's inside of me. Do you see, it would startle us, but it's true. The Holy Spirit is here, and the Holy Spirit and the Father are one. And when we move to the level of being a boy, we recognize, my goodness, God is here. It's not just a contract I made with God to get into heaven and repent of sin and do the religious things, but this is God. God's here, and that's where boys are. Now, do you think that makes Satan upset? Gosh, that makes Satan upset. And he mounts all sorts of things. And this is why the next stage of young men, I think, has got so many things describing it. And again, young men were described three ways. Young men were people who were strong, the word of God abided in them, and they have been victorious over the evil one. That last thing mentioned twice. So early on in life, we have a mind that's set on the earth. We read Colossians 3, 2 through 3, where it says, set your mind on things above where Christ is, and we go, yeah, I can't really do that. I've got to pay attention to things on earth. Their mouths to feed, my kids are running. By the way, where are my kids? You know, something like that. We've got to be practical. Jesus has a way that we don't understand where he's in the middle of all we do. He doesn't say, go and do the practical things and then come over here and do the godly things. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever your task, work heartily as serving the Lord and not men. And that means if your task is cleaning up something that needs to be cleaned up, seems like um, dishes keep coming through our, our kitchen that keep needing to be cleaned up. If your task is doing all these things, work heartily as serving the Lord. If you're headed out to work, work heartily as serving the Lord. You're not pretending because you are serving the Lord. We are serving the Lord. He said, that should be your attitude. The Lord has you there for a purpose, and you're working in His service in everything that you do. There aren't godly things and earthly things. When you're a Christian, your work heartily is serving the Lord who is with us all the time and in everything we're doing. When you start to live like that, the enemy comes in strong. When your mind, though, is set that you know the Father... And you'll find people reach this stage because they'll get up and they'll say things like this. The Bible used to be good. It was certainly always good. But now when I read the Bible, it's like the Bible is talking to me. And it's hard for me to put it down. And then they'll start saying something. Did you know this section in Psalms? It's like David was walking right through what I was walking through and he wrote it down. That was really good. And then did you notice this? Did you notice this? And those are people that are at the stage of young men. They're abiding in the Word. They're strong in the Word of God. Now, we must be strong in the Word of God because the enemy comes at us really hard at that time. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, even though our natural minds is to battle fleshly ways. And we've got to know that there is a spiritual battle and we're entering into a spiritual battle with spiritual, a, a spiritual armor and we have a spiritual sword, which is the word of God, which the Bible says cuts asunder between the soul and the spirit. But it is the only offensive weapon listed in the armor of God. So these people, 
know the Word of God. The Word of God abides in them. You'll find that the Holy Spirit will give you enough scriptures that whatever is confronting you, there is a scripture that helps you get through it. So let's go over here to Barbara and leave Hannah alone for a while. Thank you, Hannah. And say, and Barbara gets into a particular situation, and there's somebody who is just saying something that gets on Barbara's nerves, and they've said it three times, and she thinks it's disparaging, and she just wants to kind of grab them by the arm, squeeze a little harder than normal, and say, I'd prefer you not say anything like that again in front of other people. I'm making up something, Barbara. The, the last time you said that to me was over three weeks ago. And so, um, but, but the point is, Barbara has a choice right there. She can say, boy, that's really what I want to do, except I don't want to squeeze lightly. I want to squeeze and cut the blood flow off. You know, she might say that. But that's what's in me. And boy, I feel it so strong, I'm just going to have to do it. And she does it. Well, the enemy will come in and go, that's not your fault, Barbara. There were just things in you that were too much. It's not your fault. You're just a human. When you get to heaven, maybe you can stop things like that. But Barbara, you're just a human being. These things are just going to happen. You just have to live with it. And then I love this and move forward. That's what the enemy, just move forward. Just forget about it. And God comes up to Barbara and says, that was wrong. That was sin. That was horrible. You have to confess that. But to get strength to go through it, you need to know that there is a scripture that says you cannot be tempted beyond your strength. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says that. For no man is ever tempted beyond their strength. No temptation has ever come to us that's beyond our strength. But with the temptation, God is faithful, and he provides a means of escape that we may be able to endure it. Now, once we know that, and a temptation comes on us to do something wrong, there is now no question as to whether we have the strength. The enemy will be standing right there, Eleanor, saying, you don't have the strength, you don't have the strength, you don't have the strength, this is overcoming you, you can't resist. That's the enemy. That's his voice. And God's going to be sitting there right next to him saying, I am faithful. And he's given us the strength. And you say, this takes more strength than I've got. It isn't up to just your strength. The almighty God who created the universe has decided to live inside of each one of us and empower us so we can say, along with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I cannot do all things through Jim who strengthens me. I can only do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he says in John 15, for without me, you can do nothing. Not that you're less effective, but you can do nothing. We are totally dependent on the Lord, but the Lord is totally faithful. And we say, well, this is complicated. How does this new creation thing work? Well, this is something when Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he had to straighten Nicodemus out on this. I mean, Nicodemus just was faltering on how can you be born of water and then be born of the Spirit. And he asked Jesus twice, how can these things be? And Jesus answered to him, he said, consider the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes to, but you experience the wind flowing by. He says, that's the way it is with the Spirit of God. And that's the way it is with spiritual things. They are not discerned by the natural man, but we get to experience them. But we don't have the full understanding to explain it to ourselves in a way that we can say, this is clearly the reason and the why God did this. 
but they happen. And God is moving by His Spirit. The very idea that God could transform us into the image of Christ, to me, is so fruitless I would never even start on it looking at myself. But God looks at you and says, the things man cannot do, I can do. And I can transform you into the image of my Son. And this is where a great battle is then. And there is a great battle here, and there are a lot of people stuck at the young men stage. And they're fighting. And a lot of times it comes down to the Lord keeps revealing things in Scripture that opens up to them and they get their mind off of the world and more onto God and what He can do, and the Lord can use them in the spiritual realm. But if we don't do this, we keep fighting in the flesh. And we say the whole problem in Russia and Ukraine is Putin. Putin is part of something going on, but the Bible says the battle is in the spiritual. Well, I don't know how to deal with the spiritual. I know how to hate Putin, so I'm just going to hate Putin. That's not what God's calling. God's calling us to pray for Putin and to pray against the principalities and powers that are over what's going on there. But many of us are so scared to even be talking about principalities and powers, we'll just stay away from it. But God means for us to be so comfortable with Him that we see the victories already won over the principalities and powers, and we can walk in there with impunity. And this is such an important thing. But this is a stage of growth. Beyond that stage, there's a stage of the fathers. What does it say of the fathers? They know Him who, were from the, who is from the beginning. He's saying that fathers, spiritually mature people, know God the Father. Now in John 17, 3, it says, this is eternal life, to know the Father and the Son. John 17, 3, this is eternal life. When we think of heaven, heaven is not just everlasting. Heaven transcends time. God transcends time. This is a little mind-blowing, but about 13.8 billion years ago, time started. Time has not always been. And about that many years ago, space started and matter started. There's a verse on that in the Bible, in the beginning God created. And when God created the heavens and the earth, he created space, time, and matter. And we cannot even conceive of existence that transcends time. And yet God's existence transcends time, which is why he told Moses, you tell them that the great I am spoke to you. I never liked that phrase. What do you mean the great I am? Get with it, God. Tell me what's the deal here. No, that's the best he could put it. The great I am. He is above time. And so Paul said, this is so hard for you to understand. I have been able to see into the third heaven. But when I describe it to you, the best that I can tell you is this. The eye has not seen, the ear has not heard, and neither has it entered into the heart of man, the very thing God has prepared for them that love him. You haven't conceived it. You have no idea how marvelous it is. Hasn't even entered into your heart the very thing God has prepared. And the Bible says that eternal life is the knowing of the Father and the Son. What makes heaven heaven is that we will know the Father the way we are known. 
Because then it says, in heaven, we will know as we are known, the Scripture says. And we will know the Father even as the Father has known us. Now that's what makes heaven heaven. Now when I was younger, I would say, I want some tennis tournaments and buffet dinners and all these other things with unlimited amounts and you don't get fat and you don't have to worry about any of the side effects of any of those things and you can drink a whole lot of carbonated drinks and you don't get any problems with that. And all these fleshly things, those were my idea of heaven. Heaven isn't like that at all. We never tire, we never sleep, there are no tears, there's no sorrow, there's no regret. There's the absolute sense to glorify and praise God. We have no concept of what we're headed to. We only have the inkling. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our down payment on what is to come. Well, I haven't run into a lot of people at that level, to be frank with you. I haven't run into a lot of people at that level, but I have run into some, and they're incredibly neat people to be with because they don't focus on the unimportant. They only focus on the important. They read through the words people say and go right to their heart. They assess what the spiritual need is and move in God to address it. And they are wonderful people to be around. But that's the stage of Christian growth. Now you can see the enemy wants us always to be comparing ourselves with one another. If I'm a Christian, I'm fine. Look at all these non-Christians. Those people should come to the Lord. But I have come to the Lord. And we do that with our fleshly mind and justify where we are. I'm much better than this person, so I'm good. But, God, but Jesus just threw that to the mat when he said, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And most of us just read over that scripture and go, that's unattainable. I don't know what he means by that, but it can't be reached. It's not unattainable. It's what Jesus means for us. Jesus said, you will do the works that I do and greater things shall you do. That's what Jesus said we're to be about. It's not his fault that we're not there. And we need to have our mind put at that level because his power can transform those things. Our fleshly works certainly cannot. So it's valuable for us to recognize this. And some areas of our life might be in one particular place. We might be a boy in something and a young man in something else. But we can put the areas of our life into this and recognize that John says this is the normal thing that God wants to happen. And the culmination of it is that you would know the Father even as the Father knows you. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we give you the glory that from the beginning you loved us, you cared for us, you made way that we could know and love you that you made way that all pain and sadness and sickness would be eternally cared for, and that you sustain us in times that we have difficulties and need comfort. You are altogether to be praised. You are altogether to be thanked. And you are altogether to be blessed. And we bless your holy name. We ask, Lord, that you let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and stir within us the thing you would have done in our lives, recognizing that you are above all and that we are called to be with you in a most special way. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So the altar is open. Um, for people that would like prayer, please come forward and the altar team will be here. And if you'd like to pray by yourself, then there's a special place on the altar to pray here.